0: Well, you know, as hard as it's been uh, not, to, not to sing myself, I've uh, found it really wonderful um, to listen to these wonderful voices and meditate on these words in a way that sometimes I can't when I'm singing out loud. So I have I've found it a real blessing. Thank you. Well, we are, uh, are here tonight to uh, celebrate our Savior's birth, to reflect on what it means for us, and for the world. And each year uh, we do this, we tend to turn to the first-hand accounts of uh, of Luke and Matthew and Mark and John, those wonderful historical accounts. And and we listen to the retelling of of the story, as we we just did from Luke. And we hear their perspectives on the birth and the incarnation and uh, the nativity. So that if you've been a Christian uh, for a while, and you've come along to quite a few Christmas Eve services, you've probably heard this story, the story of our Savior's birth, from just about every different angle. Uh, You've heard it from Mary's perspective as she trusted in the Lord and treasured all those things in her heart. You've heard it from uh, Joseph's perspective as he struggled with his young fiancé's virgin fiance's sudden pregnancy. You've heard it from uh, the angel's perspective, the multitude of angels in the heaven and the shepherd's perspective as they were terrified in the fields and from the magi's perspective as they followed the star and came bearing gifts. You've probably even heard it from Herod's perspective with his evil intentions to snuff out Jesus from the start to, uh, to keep on his own legacy. In the Gospels, we are privileged to get this insight from every character's perspective, to kind of get inside their head and understand their reactions to this miraculous event and learn. But there is one perspective we don't get. We get Mary's and Joseph's and the angels and the shepherds and the magi's and Herod's. But whose perspective do we not hear? We don't get to hear Jesus. We don't get to hear Jesus' thoughts, what his thoughts were, what his reactions were at the moment of his incarnation. We don't get to hear what he was thinking as he was born into this world. We don't get Jesus' perspective. Now you may be thinking, well, Carrie, That's because he was a baby, he was busy being born, probably wasn't thinking too deeply. But actually there's one place in the scriptures that gives us a peek that lets us into Jesus' thoughts at the moment of his incarnation, or more specifically, just before the big event. The night before Christmas, if you will. As as the pre-incarnate Jesus stood in heaven about to take that, you know, headlong dive that my father described on Sunday through the stars and the galaxies into humanity, what was he thinking? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us his thoughts, what he said, what he was thinking about as he was about to be born into this world world. I want us to reflect on those for a little bit tonight. It's a little different. It's going to be a little, maybe a little heavier theologically, but Hebrews chapter 10, do we have it up on the board? I guess we don't have it up on the board. If we can get that up there, that'd be great. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7 say this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book." It's amazing, Jesus stated purpose for being born, he says, is to take on a body, one that the Father has prepared for him, as, so as to do the will of the Father. He came to live among us, as one of us, but perfectly. To do the will of the Father in perfection and pure obedience. This is the reason that he thought he was being born. It was his stated purpose, his stated purpose of of his life. Sometimes we think that we kind of know what we were born for, right? Where maybe we're out, you know, water skiing or, you know, hiking on that mountain and we say, I was born for this. This is what I was born for. And sometimes we, know, we think we know it of other people or other people's children, right? Our own children, what they were born for. Asa over here, here is five years old. about the size of a ninth grader. It's pretty clear. People say, oh, I know what that, guy, that kid's born to play football. He's born for it. And Andrew is raising him up in the way he should go. But the truth is we have... No idea, right, about that specific kind of purpose. Because we have no pre-birth conscious existence where we can choose to come into this world to achieve a certain task where we think, you know, think before I'm born. I think this is what I want to do. But Jesus did. He knew what he was coming to do, and he stated it clearly. In fact, it gets even clearer in the next verses. He keeps it more specific in verses 8 through 10. This is what he said. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offers according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He abolished the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus was born to do the will of the Father, to live an obedient life, the life that we could never live because of our sin, one that's perfect and holy. And then he knew he would give that life. He would offer that holy life at the cross as the perfect Final sacrifice in our place that we may be sanctified, he says, made holy. He came, he was born to give us his holiness. That's what his birth was about. That's what his death was about. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus coming to give us his holiness. Holiness. And I want us to reflect on just a couple of truths that that means for our lives, this incredible gift of holiness that he brings us, his holiness at Christmas. And the first thing that it means that we see in this text is that it means deliverance from religion. The whole context if you get a chance to go read it, of Hebrews chapter 10 is about this. The Israelites had been struggling religiously for hundreds of years to try to be holy, to try to be clean, to try to be right before God so that they could draw near to Him and know Him. So they were following laws and keeping rituals. And when they failed and sinned, they had a sacrificial system in which the blood of animals was given to atone for their sin, so they could be right with God again. But it was never enough. It was it, it was always a temporary fix, like putting a band-aid on cancer. They would sin and there would be ritual and sacrifice to atone and then they would sin again and there'd be more ritual and sacrifice and then of course they would sin again and it was sin and sacrifice and sin and sacrifice and sin and it was this endless vicious cycle and it never ultimately worked the writer of Hebrews says this in in verse two about these offerings would they have not have ceased to be offered that is, if they had worked, since the worshiper, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. He says, if it had worked, they would stop making the sacrifices because they would have had a clean and clear conscience, but it could never stop. That's the burden of religion that weighs on all of us, struggling with our sin over and over and over, trying to make up for it with good works and sacrifices and priests, never knowing if we've done enough to make it us right with God. we down in guilt, condemned in this cycle. That's all religion, folks, from Islam to Mormonism to Catholicism. That's all religion, and it's hopeless, and it's never enough because there is this inner sinful heart that just keeps coming through like that cancer. It's funny, even atheists, if you think about it, live this way. Subconsciously, they're constantly trying to justify themselves by their, you know, good and philanthropic actions. They hope it will kind of outweigh the bad. It's just religion without God, which is even more pathetic. And they fail just like the religious people. But Jesus came, he was born into this world to end all this hopelessness. He came to be the final, perfect sacrifice, to bring holiness for us. And he's the only one that could do it. You see, what God has always wanted from us is not ritual and sacrifice, but obedient lives that honor him as our creator, as our father, that are given over to him. And that's what Jesus, his son, could offer for us, to us. You see, an animal can't ultimately be a sacrifice in our place because it can't live an obedient life. A goat or bull could never do the will of God. Some of you know our family has goats, and our our favorite family goat is Mr. Tumnus our little pygmy goat let me say Mr. Tumnus does not know the temptation of sin and the devil he doesn't struggle with morality and the law he has no conscience or sense of spiritual relationship he has no sense of the righteous judgment of God he just eats stuff a lot of stuff But Jesus knew all these things because he entered in, he took on a body, he became one of us, he was tempted in every way, he was weighed down with the full struggles and suffering of this life, he was persecuted by Satan, yet he never sinned. That's why he came. That's what he thought about before he entered and was born in this world. He did the will of the Father and thus had pure communion and relationship with the Father. And he gave his life, that perfect union with the Father life at the cross for us. And thus he ended religion. He fulfilled it. It's finished. As it says in verse 10, let me read it again. Maybe it will come up on the PowerPoint, verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Have been sanctified. That's sanctified, that's made holy. Have been made holy. Everything religion is about is done for us in Jesus by him already. He made us holy, set us apart to God. What a Christmas gift. Delivered from the endless struggle of religion, delivered from the plague of guilt and the cycle of sin and our hopelessness at it as we rest in Him. Have you ever received this gift from Jesus? Do you know what Christmas is really about? What Jesus was thinking about when He was born into this world? Because there's something else that comes with it that's even better than deliverance from religion. And that is he delivers us into a relationship with God. A real relationship with God. Verse 19 of this text has a therefore at the end of this whole thing about Jesus' incarnation and why he comes. It says this, therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near. The Jews were always trying to get near to God, to truly know him, but they couldn't get any closer than to have a big temple with a priest and a sacrifice and an altar and then a great big giant curtain separating them from the very presence of our holy God. Their sin and uncleanness always kept them at a distance, separated. But when Jesus gave his perfect life on the cross, we know from the Gospels that that curtain was torn from top to bottom symbolizing complete and full access into the holy place, into him. So we may draw near. We can enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We can know God. That draw-near language is that intimate language. We can have real relationship, creation to creator, child to father for real, not some secondary connection through a priest, not some tenuous appeasement through ritual and works, but a real intimate relationship. This is Christmas according to Jesus. This is what he was contemplating about his life on the night before he was born when he was about to dive from his glorious throne headlong into humiliation and suffering in this world. This was his intention, his purpose. He took on flesh like us to do the will of the Father for us, to give his life in our place, to make us holy in him, to bring us back into relationship with our God and deliver us from endless religion. Merry Christmas. As you go uh, to bed this night before Christmas, contemplate these words of Jesus the night before the real first Christmas and sleep well. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for sending your Son, our King, our Savior, our holiness, our access to you, our hope for eternity. May we rest in him as we look forward to him coming again. Amen.